are going to have some incredible times together over the next month. We've got three gatherings next Sunday right here. It's our last Sunday ever at the AU Hotel, which is, which is exciting. And we'll commemorate this room and remember it forever. But we're moving on. We're going to do two Sundays at the Coliseum and bring everybody together. And then the hope is to open our new property that we're renovating off Airport Road on Sunday, September 8th. And so that's the plan moving forward. If you need to take a picture of the calendar, there it is. If not, follow us on social media. Make sure you're on the email list. But more important than telling you about our calendar, I want to tell you the ending to Philippians. If you have your Bible, hold it up, hold it up, hold it up. This is the grand finale, y'all. This is the grand finale. If you don't have a Bible, don't feel shame because last week I wasn't preaching. Our student pastor, Tyler Miller, was preaching. And he had a word, and it was phenomenal, but I didn't have my Bible. And so I got to sit with all the non-spiritual people who don't bring Bibles and go, man, that's really unfortunate. Turn with me to Philippians chapter 4, verse 10. I want to let some of you know who have wondered what's going on this summer. I will be bringing back the single people drill in a couple of weeks as our young people return to Auburn. So if you're like, man, I've been sticking with this all summer because I heard there was kind of an organized moment to set up Christian community. It's coming. I just wanted you to have to wait for it. Do not move on to to the, the next church or the next movement. Stay here. It's going to happen. Philippians chapter four, verse 10. I do not have time today to give you the full recap of where we've been all summer. My hope is that this sermon is so good that it makes you want to go back and listen to every single message from Philippians because this word is so relevant and involved in your everyday life. All I can really tell you before we jump in is that the Apostle Paul is in a prison cell in Rome writing a letter to a church that he founded 10 years earlier in a city called Philippi. That's in an area of ancient Greece called Macedonia. And he's going to close out this letter with some very personal remarks to his home church. I mean, Paul had a lot of home churches. He started a lot of churches that we call the Bible. Like his letters to the churches are the letters that we're reading. But his favorite church, his closest church to his heart was the church in Philippi. And you're going to see why starting in verse 10. Philippians chapter 4, verse 10. If you're there, say I'm there. Here we go. I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Philippians 4.13, where did that come from? I didn't want to warn you that the most memorable verse in Philippians was coming up. I wanted you to see it in the context that it was actually written. Another way of reciting this verse is, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Now, most of you have heard that verse before, but you've never seen it in the context it was originally written. written. Look at those verses. Paul says, I rejoice greatly that you renewed your concern for me. That means I rejoice because you sent me a lot of money and a lot of supplies. And I think that's awesome. And so I want you to know, though, that I'm not rejoicing because I'm in need. I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I've learned to be content when I have food and when I don't have food, when I have plenty and when I don't have enough. Like, I'm good. I can do 
all this through Christ who gives me strength. So Philippians 4.13 is not a recipe for doing the impossible, especially when it's related to sports. It's actually the verse that is meant to empower you to be content, whether you have a lot of money or a little, whether you have a lot of stuff or just a little bit of stuff or no stuff. And I know for me growing up, Philippians 4.13 was like that magic verse that you bring up when you need Jesus on your team because you know you're going to lose. I mean, it's like I, I played basketball in high school and we were about to play. We were about to play a team called Norcross High School. Some of you know Norcross, South Gwinnett, that whole area. When you were playing them in Georgia, you're like, okay, we lost. They have they had three guys on their team that are still currently in the NBA. I'm not currently in the NBA. And, and so it was like, okay. And, I, and everybody knew I was going to be a pastor, even in high school. And so I was like, Miles, what do you got for us, man? What do you got for us? Like, Philippians chapter 4, verse 13 says, I can do all things. I can do all this through Christ who gives me strength. Man, he has given strength to people to do the impossible before. And he's going to empower us to beat Norcross. And then you come in there at halftime and you're down by 40. And you're like, ah, man, I guess he didn't join our team. Like this is the verse that you pull out when you're like, man, we're not, we're like not going to win if Jesus doesn't play and we need him. Or, or it's, it's the verse that you pull out if any of you are into working out. It's the one that you pull out for that last rep. It's like, I can do all this through Christ. I can do this. I can do this. Listen, this is not a verse that is meant to be recited to help for Jesus to help you do impossible things. And that's not to say that Jesus doesn't help you do impossible things. He does. That's just not what it's about. Next time you think about Jesus helping you do all things, know this. The impossible thing that Jesus wants to do in and through your life is give you equal joy with a lot and with a little which is more impossible than any of the other miracles that we really want from him. Can you imagine what it would be like to have equal joy in your heart, in poverty, and in overwhelming riches? This is a level of joy that the world has never known. And this is a level of joy that I can confidently say 100% of Auburn Community Church has not arrived at. I feel really good saying Paul's in a place that's like, he's like, I'm good. I'm good. If I got plenty of food, I'm good with the little. It is equal to me because the source of my joy is not my stuff. The source of my joy is my savior. And when you know Jesus as your joy from within, that's not a joy that goes away when the stock market drops or when there's not enough. That's a joy that sustains. And that's what's available for you today in Jesus. I'm not going to be living there, but I hope that from now until forever, Philippians 4.13 is framed in your sight. I had a, there's a lawyer in our church who texted me this week. He said, bro, I can't wait for you to ruin Philippians 4.13 for everybody at ACC. I was like, I already did Jeremiah 29.11. So this is the second most misquoted verse. It's about financial contentment. Here we go. We're going to pick up in verse 14. Watch this. Paul says, yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. Paul says, you guys have been supporting me since the early days. Now, Paul's pretty developed into his ministry at the point that Philippians is written. He's the most influential Christian in the world. But 10 years prior, some of these churches that he was starting up were literally gatherings in the living room of a house that consisted of a living room. It's just a couple of people. 
It's not the romanticized view of church planting that a lot of us have. And by the way, if you have a romanticized view of planting a church, this is totally free. Plant a church. It'll go away. And, and so Paul's like, he's developed in his ministry, and he's like, no, you guys supported me before I was Paul. Like, you were the only church that shared with me in giving and receiving. What does that mean? It means they were his financial support for getting the gospel throughout Macedonia and into the modern Greco-Roman world. But then he says this. I love this in verse 17. He says, I don't desire your gifts. I desire that more be credited to your account. We're going to come back to that and talk about your eternal bank account a little bit later in this sermon. Look at verse 18. He says, I've received full payment and have more than enough. I'm amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus. Somebody say Epaphroditus. We're going to come back to that name too. The gifts that you sent, they are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet all God's people in Christ Jesus. The brothers and sisters who are with me send greetings. All God's people here send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen, amen, amen. That is the end of Philippians. Paul gives a final personal note of encouragement to the church in Philippi, and then he goes, everybody sends you greetings. I'm out. And the part that I feel like God wanted me to hone in on today was verses 18 through 20. We'll put those back on the screen if you didn't notice this. He said, I got this gift from you, this financial gift, this gift that supplied my needs. And I want you to know this. It is a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. The final installment of our Philippian series is going to be titled, Pleasing to God. Pleasing to God. As you're writing that down, look at the person next to you and say, it pleases me to sit next to you. It pleases me to sit next to you. I'm so pleased. Overflow, you guys got to participate as well. All right? It pleases me. I like that. Did you know that you can do things today that please the God of heaven? Did you know that you can make real sacrifices that God looks at and finds pleasure through your life. It's a miracle to me that God even notices us, especially when you consider the size of our universe and the size of ourselves, that we are overwhelmingly insignificant, comparatively speaking, to the rest of creation. And yet he not only notices us, he loves us, pursues us, and can receive pleasure from our lives. And before I get to what it looks like to do something that pleases God, I have to put this foundational piece in place for you to fully understand this sermon. God being pleased with you is the root of Christianity, not the fruit of Christianity. Everybody look up here and don't miss this. Do not miss this. We started Philippians with a message called Pure and Blameless where I told you purity is not something that grows through an obedient life. Purity is at the root of your life when Jesus takes your place and you come to a position where you go, I want a relationship with my heavenly father and I trust Jesus on the inside of me. Purity is something God calls you and the more you believe that, the more it will come true. Well, it's the same way with pleasing God. When Jesus walked this earth, he got baptized before he began his ministry. That's so significant. He had never preached a sermon. 
He'd never done a miracle. He didn't die on the cross, and he definitely hadn't risen from the dead. And before he did any of that when he was baptized, what did God say from heaven? This is my son with whom I am well pleased. That's because God knew that for Jesus to fulfill his destiny on our behalf, he couldn't do it trying to earn the approval of his father. He had to do it from a position where he already knew he had the approval of his father. And the same is true about you and about me. We don't live trying to please God. We live in response to the finished work of Jesus where we go, you've got to be kidding me, but this is true. God's already pleased. Today... If you are in Christ and you showed up in church, this is not related to your circumstances. This is not related to how well you obeyed God this week. This is not related to your behavior. This is totally related to the finished work of Jesus. God thinks that about you. You are pleasing to God. Before you add anything with your life, before you bring a sacrifice of praise, before you sing or don't sing, if you are in Jesus, God looks at you and says, son, God looks at you and says, daughter, and I am pleased with them. And that's not a fruit of living a life that's good enough. That's at the root. How do you know that? How do you know that? Because the most powerful imprint of the image of God that God put on humanity is the need for the approval of a father. I get to speak all over the place, but especially to young people. And if I feel like I'm losing them or I feel like, you know what, let's just have an emotional moment at this service today. You know what I do? Talk about dad. If if I'm over all over the place talking about a bunch of random stuff and all of a sudden I go, hey, think about your dad. Now let's talk about God. Everybody in the room is glued. That was given to you by God. The image of God on the inside of you starves to be filled with the approval of a father. And whether you got your earthly father's approval or not, whether you have a good relationship with your earthly father or not, it doesn't really change the fact that the internal void that all of us are starving to fill is the void where dad says you're worth it, where dad says you're enough, where dad says you're full. And the reason why, we've said this already in this series, but I feel like it needs to be said again, the reason why we look to a lost, dark, and broken world to fill a void that can only be filled by God is because we haven't taken the time today to let our heavenly father love us long enough to tell us that he's pleased with us. You've got to receive this. If you don't receive this, you'll look on Instagram. If you don't receive this, you'll look to your bank account. You'll look to your job. You'll look to the approval of another. And how tragic is it to watch people live their entire life trying to get the approval of a dad who's already said he's pleased with us? It's already there, y'all. Because it was there for Jesus. It's not there because you're that awesome. It's there because Jesus is that glorious. Like, God's happy with you today. The 830 cared about that a lot more than you guys care right now. I'm just saying. They did. I did not mean for that to be funny. I meant for that to be aggressive. And so I'm glad you're laughing and it kind of kills the tension of the moment because I was upset because I'm, I'm overwhelmed that God would look at me because I know me and you know you for God to look at that and go, that is my son. That is my daughter. I am so happy with you today. This is the best news in all the universe. This is the gospel. You have the approval of your heavenly father. Have you let God love you today? But that's, that's not the end of the gospel. That's the beginning. Paul says, you guys did something that 
was acceptable to God and, and pleasing to God. So what it means to be a Christian is to know that God is pleased with you and then live a life pleasing to God, not to try to earn his approval, but because you already have his approval. So I can live my life pleasing to God when I believe that he's pleased with me. And then do you know what happens? I live a life of overflow because the reason why I'm alive is to live a life that glorifies him, that magnifies him. And the more that I do that, the more I am filled on the inside. Here's what I'm trying to say. God being pleased with you is not a license for you to live in a displeasing way. Everybody hear that? God being pleased with you is not a license to live in a way that displeases God. Enter in our latest bachelorette, Hannah. Sweet Hannah. Oh, yeah, we're going to talk about this. Absolutely, we're going to talk about this. So here's the thing. I, uh, I don't watch The Bachelor or The Bachelorette. And I don't judge you whatsoever if you do. Well, I'll probably take off the word whatsoever. I don't judge you. I don't judge you if you do. But this latest season of The Bachelorette got on my radar through conversations with people and through social media when I, I came to find out that The Bachelorette it was, it was addressing topics of, of what Jesus thinks about sexuality. And, and I'll, I'll spare you the long version because I don't know the long version. I watched the finale because of all of this information that I got. But somebody told me, like, there's a guy on The Bachelorette who's like trying to speak for Jesus and he's doing a really bad job and you need to see some of this cringeworthy stuff. Because as soon as I heard like, oh great, The Bachelorette is clarifying what Jesus thinks about sex. I was like, that's just the perfect context. <laughs> no. Um, and this guy just, he thought he had a spiritual connection with The Bachelorette and then found out that, that she had slept with another guy on the show and then was confronting her in a very condemning way of like, what is wrong with you? And, and then everybody ended up hating him. And in her defense of her actions, she said, and I quote, I can't even quote it. I want to, but it's not, it wouldn't even be appropriate for me to say at coffee cap. So it's definitely not appropriate for me to be able to say in church, but she basically said, I did this with this guy this many times and Jesus still loves me. And so I watched the finale, and you got this, this young woman who, I know Alabama's a small world. Some of you may even know her, and I do hope that this sermon gets her. I hope she knows. We love her like we're for her. But they show her on the finale, knowing that she's sleeping with, with these guys, or at least with one of them, and, and she's like having her morning coffee, trying to make her decision with her ESV Bible. Like she's over here having her quiet time and, and like thinking, to, and I'm like, oh, oh no, 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 no. Oh my gosh. They think, they think that this is, that this is realistic, that this is how you're allowed to live your life. Listen, I, I want you to know today that the fact that God is pleased with you, if that creates in you a license to go, great, God's going to be pleased with me regardless of what I do. I'll do whatever I want. 
That type of thinking completely demoralizes and demeans the sacrifice Jesus made to buy you. And the Bible says that you were bought at a price, therefore honor God with your body. If you were bought by God, you no longer belong to yourself, you belong to God. And so it's never okay for somebody to go, well, if God's pleased with me, I can just do what I want. Do you know the levels of damage that that causes in people's thinking about grace and people's thinking about God's mercy? The Bible says, in view of God's mercy, offer your body as a living sacrifice. What? Holy and pleasing to God. The fact that God is pleased, mercy results in a holy and pleasing life, not a life that flaunts this fake freedom that goes, I can do whatever I want, I can damage my soul, and I can take souls with me while I'm on my way. You know what broke my heart about watching that is that I know hundreds, hundreds of young girls go to this church and actually think that way. And for our young women that are in this church, and a lot of them are out right now, and they'll be back in a couple of weeks. Some of y'all are here, and a lot of y'all listen to the podcast. You need to know from me, that is not okay. You are worth so much more than giving yourself away, thinking the entire time that, oh, it's just Jesus loves me. No, 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 no. If you really understood what it means for Jesus to love you, you would live in a way that's honoring to Jesus and like you have the value that Jesus says about you. And so if we're pleasing to God, it means living a life that results in being pleasing to God. And I'm not here to live on the bachelorette soapbox. I hope that is not what you remember from this message. I hope you know we we, we love people well, and we're welcoming to anybody and everybody. But when there's a method of thinking that I actually notice is taking our people, especially our young people, captive, I just want you to know there's a better way. And Paul talks about people who think the way that Hannah thinks, and he has some words. I'll just sum it up with this. He does not think that they know God. And if you're like, well, I don't agree with Paul. Okay. (laughs) That's fine. Then you're wrong. All right. Um, (laughs) Let's add that on. But here's where where the judgment, this is easy to point fingers at Hannah and go, see that? Yeah, that thinking is so wrong, so wrong, so wrong. But here's where I think this verse collides with us and brings us into the conversation. I think we all, to a certain degree, want God to be pleased without having to make a sacrifice. We all want to be pleasing to God without it costing us anything. And part of that is a byproduct of what we've heard about the gospel. Jesus did this for you before you were born, before you were even in the equation. You get the free gift of salvation. What do I have to do? Nothing. And so it creates this frame of mind where you're like, God just likes to do things for me without even asking me, without even consulting me, and he's just going to be happy with me no matter what I do. Cool. Then, then it doesn't really matter how I live. Then it doesn't really matter how this plays out. And so we, we're surprised when we hear a message about Jesus that might cost us something. And we're surprised to hear that if you want to live a life pleasing to God, it will cost you. Because we were created to worship God. And guess what? You have never worshiped God in a position that did not involve sacrifice. Never once have you ever worshiped God without sacrifice. And there's a better way I said that, and we'll put it on the screen, it's this. Where there is no sacrifice to God, there is no worship for God. You were created to magnify the God of the universe, but if in worshiping God there's no real sacrifice attached to that, it can't be pleasing to God. 
The reason why you're pleasing to God isn't because God woke up one day and said, I like them. The reason why you're pleasing to God is there was this aroma that came from Calvary as Jesus shed his blood for you. And God goes, I am pleased with the sacrifice of my son so I can look at you and call you pure. I can look at you and call you blameless. But that cost a lot. That didn't just cost a lot. That bankrupted heaven. Do you know the value and worth of heaven is summed up in one word? Jesus. Like the most valuable treasure in all of existence became a human being and emptied himself to buy you. You were not free. You were costly. You cost God everything. And when you, when you sense that, then you start to understand that when Jesus says, hey, if you want me, you have to give up everything. ACC, if, if we want to live pleasing to God, if we want a church pleasing to God, it's going to be costly. God doesn't violate that order after Jesus died and was resurrected. It continues. If you ever want to please God with your life, it is going to require faith. What does Hebrews say? Without faith, it is impossible to please God. So in order for me to live a life pleasing to God, I know I'm accepted, but now I know this is going to cost me. I'm going to get burned. I'm, no, the Bible doesn't say burned. That's for other people uh, who think like someone. Um, I, the Bible says crucified. I'm going to... this. Wait a minute, this is, uh, this is going to hurt, yes, but it's going to hurt so good. It's going to be the hurt that creates a pathway for what you really want out of life. I didn't share this with you before. Put, can we put those verses back on the screen, 18b through 20? They're a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. Now look at this. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. The fact that that verse is there, there, when you sacrifice and empty yourself to know God deeper, to expand his kingdom more, the immediate follow-up is always overflowing fulfillment. Not, well, make the sacrifice and we'll see if God kind of takes care of it one day in heaven. And my God will meet all of your needs. What needs? Financial, emotional, spiritual, physical. All your needs according to what? His glorious riches. What does that mean? It means everything. He owns everything in heaven, everything on earth. He is the summation of all value. And the pathway to you and I experiencing his provision is sacrifice, is doing something that's not comfortable. But I love that right after he talks about doing the sacrifice, he says, and my God will meet all of your needs. Did you know the more you give your life away, the more you find it? Did you know the more you sacrifice, the more you're fulfilled? Did you know the more you lay down for Jesus, the more that gets entrusted to you in Jesus? And so what we've got to do is start to become magnets towards sacrifice instead of repelling away from it and going, I want to give my money. I want to give my worship. I want to give my time. I want to give my talent. More than any of that, I want to give my heart. Because if Jesus has your heart, he has all your stuff. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And I just feel like this season at Auburn Community Church is a season where I've got to call you as your leader to sacrifice but I've got to remind you that the byproduct of that sacrifice is more joy. 
I never want ACC to be a place that is divisive on the basis of theology. We are a church that openly welcomes people who disagree theologically. But there's some things that you need to hear me make a stand on and say, this is where we are. The summation of what we believe about God, and you can look up more about this. Just Google the term Christian hedonism, and you'll find out a lot about what we believe. But John Piper summed up his findings in the Bible, and I I could not agree with this more. Our elders could not agree with this more, even if we disagree on other things. It's this statement. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. There's a relationship in the Bible and God getting glory through your life and your soul experiencing satisfaction and fulfillment. So the more, the more you hand off to God, the more you make your life about Jesus, the more you're fulfilled with true pleasure that comes from heaven, not the cheap pleasure that comes from this world and gives you a little bit of fulfillment for a moment, but it bites like poison on the way down and leads to more brokenness and leads to more emptiness. No, true fulfillment is always on the other side of sacrifice. And it's making your life a living sacrifice that says, I'm making this about Jesus. And you don't become a boring Christian who plays Monopoly. You become a faith-filled, joy-filled, purpose-filled, freedom-filled believer who's going, I don't want to live my life any other way because this is the reason I have breath. You do not ever need to envy sinners, ACC. You do not ever need to look at this world and think they are getting something that you're not. They are getting a cheap substitute that will, it will lead to brokenness. It will lead to a dead end. And you're getting the real thing. You're getting true joy. The Bible says that at Jesus' right hand is pleasures forevermore. God not only invented pleasure, he is that. And so you're never missing out. We're always truly fulfilled when we open ourselves up in sacrifice. And Paul has this moment in Philippians 4 where he's like, I'm going to make this real personal. I'm in in jail and i got to tell you, I'm so grateful for your gift. It was pleasing to God. And I believe the Philippian church did not recognize the fullness of what was right in front of their face, and neither do we. And so the, ne- the next portion of this sermon, whatever time I have left, gosh, I'm just struggling with time today. I went way over at the 8.30. That's why some of y'all were in line out there. Sorry about that. Uh, Going to have to get quicker for our quick service turnarounds, which I'm not, I'm not looking forward to. But here's what I want to say. The rest of this message is going to be very personal to Auburn Community Church. If you don't go to ACC, you're so welcome to be here. I hope this helps you as you kind of digest what God's doing here and think about your role in your home church, your local church. If you're from out of town, so welcome to be here. I think it's going to encourage you. If you're a guest and you're checking us out, it's a great week to be here because you're going to get to see, okay, yeah, that's what they're all about. Awesome. But if this is your home, the next few minutes, I need to have like a a very personal talk with us because in the last year, we've had more conversations about pressure and scale, how do we reach all of these people, and how do we take this thing God's doing through ACC and and make it more available? And I like those conversations, but I heard somebody say this week, they were quoting Gary Haugen, who's the, I think he's the president of IJM, and he said, young leaders make the same mistake over and over and over again. This will help you if you're in business, too. He said, young leaders think too much about scale and not about product. In other words, young people have the tendency to think, how do I do this? How do we get this much stuff? How do, we, how do we make this happen? How do we serve all these people? Instead of just thinking, man, how do we just continually put the best product out there and let the scale take care of itself? Like Chick-fil-A became what it is because Truett Cathy didn't sit there one day and say, how do I have stores all over the world? He sat there one day and said, how do I make a good chicken sandwich? ACC is going to get where it gets because we discover and maximize what's pleasing to God about our community. That's our product, if you will. 
What is pleasing to God about Auburn Community Church? And this is where I get freaked out. Because I believe, can we put the words pleasing to God at the top? I genuinely believe in heaven right now that the worship and the week-in, week-out lifestyles that are coming out of this faith family are pleasing to God in heaven. Like I believe when God goes and sees what is coming out of this movement, I believe he is pleased. I don't, I don't think we have it all worked out. I think if Jesus could write a letter to our church, he'd have a lot to say. I think they would be sure up this and think about this. and By no means. But there's something happening here where God is not only pleased by what's here, but he's bestowing more anointing and more fulfillment and more resources and is, is willing to do that so long as we don't get away from that thing that is pleasing to him. And, and do, you know, do you know what I think is pleasing to God about Auburn Community Church? Do you know what I think it is? I don't, I don't think it's the music. I don't think it's the preaching. I definitely don't think it's the many different venues that we meet at. I think it's that we have a group of people who are so hungry and thirsty for God. Like I, I struggle in so many areas of my life. I love God and I want more of God every day. And there are people who in this church who feel the same way and who are pressing into that. And we might not have it all figured out and we might not always, you know, do the exact thing that the spirit's calling us to do in every moment. But like what's coming out of this is good. And it's going to stop being good if we get away from that hunger and thirst for God. So what I'm about to share with you is what I feel like God is calling us to do in this next season as we're, yes, yes, scale-wise, we are growing. We're about, we are in the process of renovating the space off Airport Road, and we're going to build off Hamilton Road. And we got crazy needs. But what we don't need is people who go, oh, great, they need money, and they need me to serve on a team. What we need is people who are like, I'm willing to sacrifice because I think in heaven what's happening here is pleasing to God, and I want my name attached to that. I want my family attached to that. I want to be in heaven one day and God go, there's the, the, the church that did this at this point in history in Auburn. Think about the church in Philippi 2,000 years ago. If you were to go into their little meeting in the house church and go, you guys are the Philippians? You guys are legendary. You guys... Like, you're still yielding fruit 2,000 years later. We're still talking about you guys. They'd be like, us? Our little house church thing? ACC, I feel like, I feel like if, there, if, there, if the spirit could come down right now, he would go, wake up, ACC. It's like in your day happening. It's like God has decided in our time with this movement to go, my spirit is moving in a powerful way here. And if we wake up and see it, you know what we'll do to further it? Sacrifice. And that won't be comfortable, but it will be awesome. I have two points, and I've got to fly through both of them. I just spit on my mic. Number one is this. Here's what we're going to have to do. We're going to have to give under pleasure, not under pressure. Give under pleasure, not under pressure. Look at the person next to you and say, it's my pleasure. It's my pleasure. Like a good Chick-fil-A employee, say it. It's my, you know Chick-fil-A stole that from Ritz-Carlton? I don't know if you knew that. There's nothing new under the sun. Here's the thing. I feel like I've said the word pleasure several times in this sermon, and it makes some of you uncomfortable because that's not a word that we mix with God. We think of pleasure, and we think of, like, it's kind of deviant, kind of worldly, like, God, pleasure. Do you know pleasure should be one of the first words you think about when you think about God? 
When God created you, he literally molded humanity to be like machines that seek pleasure. And we're not machines, we're people, but know this. Your body biologically, chemically tells you to seek pleasure in multiple different ways. There's chemicals that go off in your brain when you eat to tell you we like this. We're pleasured by this. There's so many Chick-fil-A references in one sermon because I just thought about waffle fries. Okay, and doesn't it, don't you hate when it hits you on a Sunday and you can't do anything about it? They like that and they know that. Uh, anyway, your body was created by God to be a, a center for seeking pleasure. Like you seek the things that are most pleasing to your eyes, to your body, to your feelings, to your taste. That's not something that happened because of sin, y'all. That's something that was given to you by God. It's a reflection of who God is. He wanted you at the center of who you are to be somebody who wants pleasure, but he didn't want you to attach that want to a, a distortion of the truth. He is our ultimate pleasure. He is the one who wants to give us true fulfillment. And so the way we give our money, I want it to stop being under pressure of how do we do this and how do we expand fast enough and we're not gonna make it if you guys don't give more and what do we do, what do we do, what do we do? Almost everyone in this room is relating to money under pressure, not under pleasure. Whether you have a little or a lot, if you have a little, you're under pressure. You're like, I don't have enough. I need more. If you have some, you're like, well, I need more because there's too many places. And you know, do you know in this room who's under the most pressure financially? The people who have a lot. Now, I don't know this personally, but I know this from talking to some of them. That You, you think your life would become more simplified if you had more money. It would just become more complicated. Because more people would want your money and you would feel the pressure every day of your life of the fact that you're going to have to stand before God on every dollar he's ever entrusted to you. And when that dollar amount goes up, so does the pressure. And so everybody in here thinks about money. And I believe our church lately, because of scale, has thought about this in like a pressure format. When God wants to replace pressure with pleasure of going, I've already decided I'm pleased with you. I will provide all of your needs according to my glorious riches. But how do you make that crossover from doing it under pressure to doing it under pleasure? Well, Paul tells us how. Look at verse 17 of Philippians 4. I'm going to fly. It's this. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. That's funny. Paul thinks that the Philippians' financial gift to him wasn't something they gave away. It was something they invested that they're going to collect on later. What account is Paul talking about? This is where, if you didn't hear my sermon two weeks ago, this will make no sense. But I talked about how when your mind is set on heaven on a daily basis, it clarifies a lot of the things that happen on earth. Paul's like, you got this heavenly bank account that you're just throwing money in. And, and just FYI, they were throwing it in the right place. Paul. Heaven. Everyone in heaven. And the Philippian church is like, that's where, that's where my money went. How, I don't know what the reward system is going to look like in heaven, but I do know the Philippian church is going to be loaded. <laughs> He's like, I, I want you to do this under pleasure because you're giving your money away and you're kind of like, mm, I'm going to see that later. You will. Think about what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 13, verse 44. I'm not going to read it, but we'll put it on the screen. Jesus told this story about the kingdom of God, and he said there was this guy who found this, this treasure buried in a field. And so he dug it up, and he buried it in another field, and then he sold everything he had, and he bought the field that he buried the treasure in, and he did it with joy. When this guy was selling his stuff, what do you think his friends said? His friends were like, what? You're, you're selling all of your stuff? What? You are out of your mind. And he's like, uh, I, uh, I think I'm okay. He's got this treasure buried in this field that only he knows about. And he's like, no, I'm good. I'm good. When we give sacrificially, 
to what God is doing here, there should be a part of you that finds pleasure in it because you know, I'm going to collect on that later, and you know what's happening in our midst right in front of our faces is mattering for all of eternity because souls are coming to discover that God is pleased with them, that he's not mad at them. And so there's a part, yes, there's a part of it that's a sacrifice, but there's also another part of it that's like, oh my gosh, I find pleasure in doing this because I know what God is doing with it. And by the way, if, if your giving is not a sacrifice, it's not worship, it's a tip. There should be a part of you and me, every time we give, this is only for the home, if you're just checking us out, this is not for you. If you're a member of ACC, this is for you. There should be a part of you when you give that goes, ouch, ah, but I love what God's doing in heaven, but oh, like I, a couple weeks ago, I'm in this. My, my, my check that I was going to give uh, d- during bringing time was in my Bible and I was preaching, so it got, it got stuck in here, so I was walking down the hall to my assistant's uh, office and I was, I was going to hand her the check and I was feeling it. I was like, ouch, I want to hold on to this. And that's worship. But it's, but you're like, that doesn't sound like pleasure. That sounds like pressure. No, 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 no. Remember Jesus sacrifice. When Jesus died on the cross, it says, it says he was able to die for us for the joy set before him. He endured the cross. How do you die on a cross with joy? You have the foresight to know the cause of this sacrifice is going to be worth the price paid. It was you. It was me. It was us with our father. And he goes, I'm going to the cross gladly because I know what this is producing. And when we give our money to ACC, there's got to be a part of it that hurts or it's not a sacrifice and it's not worship. But there's got to be a part of it too that's like, I hate doing this, but I love it. I hate it and I absolutely love it because every single day I get to attach my name to an eternal story and Paul's not even done motivating the Philippians. He's like, you're adding to your account in heaven and you don't know this, but every single time you give toward what God's doing through me, you're like exponentially adding to that. And then he says this, look at verse 19, and my God will meet all of your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. So the second reason why you can find pleasure in giving is not just because of heaven one day, it's for provision today. If you're confused about how God's going to provide for you financially in your current season, it's probably going to happen through the doorway of generosity. And that doesn't have to be generosity to this church. That could be a generous life. But when you start to open your hands generously and live a sacrificial life, God has this mysterious way of making sure those hands get filled. And I'm not saying that it's always with money, but I am saying it is with provision. God endows, he gives his presence to available people. We said that already. So ACC, we're, we're in a season of unprecedented financial need. There is no way, there is no way we are going to do what we're about to do. I act so confident up here. Guys, we have, we have no network. We are not a part of a denomination. I was about to say, no one likes us. Um, but like, <laughs> not a lot of people do. Um, that's good, though. It's encouragement because he said, you know, they will, they'll hate you. And, but what you didn't know is that when he was saying that, he was talking about your own brothers and sisters. Anyway, oh, guys, what we're about to do is totally impossible outside of God's supernatural provision. I don't want our church to be in any other place because if we could do it ourselves, what are we doing here? Um, if we actually believe that this is real, maybe he'll show us that it's real over time like he did for the people of God in the Old Testament. But I say this to say, we're not going to get up here and pressure you. We're not going to get up here. We're going to get up here and call you to faithfulness. But every time I say that, I feel like I'm shortchanging myself. 
Faithfulness is not tipping. Faithfulness is sacrifice. It's time. It's time. So we're not going to be under pressure. We're going to be under pleasure because we love getting to do this. And then lastly, and I'm done. We made it in time. Serve as fellow soldiers, not friendly spectators. Serve as fellow soldiers, not friendly spectators. I promised you I was going to tell you about Epaphroditus. Say Epaphroditus out loud one more time. Say it without spitting on anybody. Epaphroditus. Somebody needs to name their child that. Here's why. Earlier in Philippians, I skipped this during our series, but I want to come back to it now. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 25, Paul said this personal word about his friend, Epaphroditus. He said, but I think it necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, and what? Fellow soldier, who is also your messenger. So the one who brought the financial gift from Philippi to Paul in Rome, that's Epaphroditus. Friends called him Paphy, whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you in his distress because you heard he was ill. Get this, y'all. Indeed, he was ill and almost died. But God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but also on me, to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I'm all the more eager to send him, so that when you see him again, you may be glad, and may, I may have less anxiety. So then, welcome him in the Lord with great joy, and honor people like him, because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give me. Look at that. Paul's going to send the letter, he says in Philippians 4, to the church in Philippi, with Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus is the one who came and brought the financial gift. And you find out that when Epaphroditus made that journey, he almost died. Everyone in this room walked in and you knew who Paul was, or at least you knew it was a biblical name. I would say less than 2% of you knew who Epaphroditus was when you walked in this room. And they are of equal importance and equal value to the story God was writing in the church at Philippi. What we want at ACC is not people who spectate, sit in the crowd, I give my gift, I clap when the preaching's good, raise my hand during worship. What we want is fellow soldiers, people to jump in the fight like Epaphroditus and go, I don't care if the name that everybody knows is Paul or the person who's kind of on the front page of the story is this person or that person. I don't care. I just want to be a part of something that's going to matter eternally. So put me down. I'm your ride or die fellow soldier like Epaphroditus, and I'm in for the journey. And let me just say this. ACC has a lot of people, but not a lot of soldiers. A few. And they're people who you don't even know their names. You don't really know their stories, but they are of equal value to anybody who sings or preaches from this stage because the story of God is dependent on them. So if you're here and you're like, I don't have all the financial resources to give, definitely be faithful and sacrifice where you are, but everybody can be a fellow soldier in this, in this mission. There was a time, I'll tell you all a quick story. A couple months ago, it was Easter week. And we had a guy come down from a church in Atlanta and speak to our LDPs. That's our, that's our leadership development program, our interns. And they were coming to the end of the school year. Do not miss this story. It's a good story. Y'all need to look up here. They were coming to the end of the school year, and they were exhausted. They were done. Not angry, but tired. They had done an entire semester in this room where we had five gatherings they would be here all day on Saturday getting it set up, all day on Sunday serving, and into late Sunday night taking it down and packing it away. Children's volunteers, load-in, load-out volunteers, relational ministry with students, with all, all kind of different roles, but they were together in, man, they were done. 
And this guy came down, and he told all of these names. Epaphroditus was one of them. He gave all these names from the New Testament that none of us know their stories. None of us know anything about them except this little blip in the Bible. And he's like, isn't that crazy? Their name got in the story. Isn't it amazing that you can, you can like, attach your name to a story? And when we see Epaphroditus in heaven, it'll be like, you're the guy who almost died taking Paul the letter. He's like, yep, I'm, I, I, was in, I was there. I mean, I was in it. And I'm, I'm, I was, he actually called me a fellow soldier. Don't know if you read that verse. But uh, so we were really kind of the like same. And, um, and this guy speaking to our LDPs, he said, some of you have not taken in the joy of having a role in this movement that's in the background. And he said, some of you this Sunday at your Easter service that everybody's excited about, Auburn Arena, he said, nobody's publishing the fact that there's only one service and somebody's got to watch the kids. And most of that will be you holding a kid who's crying or chasing a kid who wants to leave. And he said, what I want you to do is before church and after, I want you to walk around Auburn Arena and I want you to sense the souls that are going to taste the gospel. And I want you to breathe this in. I'm a part of this. I get to attach my name to something bigger than myself. And it doesn't matter if it's, if it's just one little, I got in the box score, like I had one point. If I get my name attached in heaven to a move of God, I'm, I'm so thrilled with that. And you watched our LDPs. They, they went from being so exhausted to so grateful. I wanted the whole church to hear it. We might bring him in to preach that exact message. But, he, but our LDPs were like, oh, my gosh, I didn't waste this year. My friends wasted this year. My friends wasted this year attending church and doing all these other things that are nice for their career, for their college experience, but they missed out on the kingdom of God. Wait a minute. I spent this entire year investing eternally into something that I'm going to yield a reward for forever. Like they were like standing up worshiping like, I'm so glad I'm exhausted. We want you glad you're exhausted, not happy to be comfortable and spectate. And we want story after story. There are already stories after stories. People, you don't even know their names. And they serve so faithfully in this church. You know the church in Philippi was started by a woman named Lydia. Paul converted a woman named Lydia. I want, you to, tell you, I want to tell you about our Lydia. Lydia Johnson, can you come up here real quick? Just real quick, real quick, real quick. I almost need you to sprint. And Asa, you can also come up here as soon as you want to. So this is, and the reason why so few of you clapped is because you, you don't know her name. You know the name Miles. But you're like, oh, who's, who's wait a minute, who's Lydia. Lydia is someone who's been a part of our church for five years, who went away to L.A. for a little while and got to taste how another church does things. And she came back to ACC and she goes, hey, we do a terrible job with the offering. We never have volunteers prepared. We never talk about this beforehand. Like, we, we need to do a better job. And we were like, hey, when you notice that we do a terrible job with something, just this is a side sermon. Why don't you do it? Um, and maybe God's calling you. And so she's like, I can do it. Initiates a team here. She is the one who oversees the team that passes the buckets every single week. None of you know Lydia, but you do know that God's doing something here that's so special. And I bring her up here because, yes, it's her last Sunday, and she's moving to go be a part of that church in L.A., and I'm, you'll come back, though. Um, God always brings them back to Auburn because best place on earth, better than L.A. Um, but I wanted in this moment for you to see there are a thousand Lydia's. And if you're ready and willing to step up and be one of them, it's time. Would y'all give her a huge hand now that you know what she does give to be a part of it? So here's the thing. Yes, yes. Okay, you read Philippians 4. It's about money. It's about being a part of one church. We want you to give your money. 
We want you to serve on a team. At the end of the day, God doesn't care about that. God cares about your heart because he knows if he has your heart, he has all your stuff and all your talents and all your time. My question today, do you wanna live a life pleasing to God in response to the fact that he's already pleased with you? Do you understand how big of a deal it is for the God of the universe to love you? And can you sing and respond and give like people who believe that? We got one song to sing, band's gonna come up here. But before we sing this song, we are gonna do bringing time. I know it's like they forgot to pass the offering buckets. No, 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 no. We didn't forget. We just felt like you might do it differently after that sermon versus before that one. So you'd be like, oh, I, would, I would have done it a little different. If you don't have cash or check, we definitely have Venmo. I love reading some of the words that y'all put on Venmo when you give on Venmo. Just go ahead and put, it's my pleasure on this one. I think that would be good. Maybe get out your phone and do that, but let's do this in a way that's worshipful to God, not just this Sunday, but every Sunday. Let's do it as a sacrifice that hurts, but also one that's like, oh, this is so good, because we get to participate in the eternal story God is writing in and through ACC. You guys can go ahead and pass those buckets around. As they're doing that, I want you to prepare your heart to sing like people who believe what we say we believe. The Bible says that we offer a sacrifice of praise lips that understand the weight of what Jesus has done. And I hope you know more than anything that it is an honor. It is, a, it is an honor and a privilege to get to be a part of a church where people are this serious about the gospel and this serious about making sacrifices to reach more people for the glory of God. I love getting to do this with you. I can speak for Matt and this team behind me that we all, like, we're not here because we have to be. We're here because we want to be. But God is about to take ACC to a next level experience of his presence. And if we don't bring next level sacrifice, he'll find somebody else. Maybe, maybe that's the last word I need to give you before we sing. God didn't need Paul or Epaphroditus. God was gonna do what he was gonna do regardless. God doesn't need ACC and he definitely doesn't need me. But I believe in our day, he has chosen to do something so significant and so special. He'll find somebody else if we don't make the sacrifice. Let's not neglect our blessing. And let's not neglect the fact that we see who Jesus is and we're gonna respond with hearts abandoned. Would you stand up all over this place? Let me pray for you. Overflow, would you stand up? Heavenly Father, I pray in Jesus' name that you would fill us with your spirit to be reminded how worth it is, worth it it is to be a living sacrifice. Jesus, we believe that because of you, our Father is pleased in heaven. And so now we want to respond with lives that are worthy, with lives that are pleasing to you. Help us sing like people who believe what we say we believe. Help us give like people who have been entrusted with more than enough. And help us serve like fellow soldiers in your kingdom. It is an honor to be on your team. It is an honor to be a part of the church. Write a new story in Auburn, Alabama. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, church, let's sing.